0: I'm Sue Brain and I'm delighted to welcome you back to this second series of Embracing Your Mortality. I have a fantastic lineup of guests, all of whom are speaking from their hearts about what it means to them to be living more consciously for a better world. Some are deeply involved with building community and working with environmental issues. Human beings are more extraordinary than I could have possibly imagined. Some speak about death and dying, others are holistic doctors and healers. There are so many ways you can get it right and I think it
1: starts with being human rather than being a doctor.
0: One is involved in helping children to understand their feelings and another is championing women in business. I have a real strong sense that something marvellous is happening among us. And I'm most grateful to Colin Gilbert's family who've given their permission to publish his interview about dying, which I did with him shortly before his death.
1: I'm on a soul journey and my soul is experiencing all the different elements that it's due to experience.
0: If you haven't already, don't forget to listen to the first series of Embracing Your Mortality podcasts. Links to my guests in both series can be found on my website, subrain.co.uk. Even though we're going through really challenging times, I hope all these conversations from both series inspire you to embrace your mortality so you too can live more consciously for a better world. Due to her own difficult and painful experiences as a child, when she was told she was stupid and wouldn't amount to much, Jackie Gray is dedicated to upholding the importance of empowering children from a very young age. Jackie is the co-author of two wonderful books called My Magical Tree and My Magical Garden, which helps children to manage and understand their feelings.
1: We had a nanny who unfortunately wasn't very nice. And so I think she instilled in me a lot of very negative beliefs about myself. And that probably then set in motion, you know, things that weren't conducive to having good emotional well-being so my narrative began very negative very early on and obviously my parents had no idea that she was doing this and when they did find out she was gone but she was with us for you know for a couple of years so, you know it's quite intense but then the other thing that happened as well was when I went into school I would say I'm a daydreamer and I'm a bit of a free spirit and I don't think the school system was very good for the person that i am i wasn't able to learn in the way that they wanted to teach me and so therefore there was this label of i wasn't very intelligent i was quite stupid and again there became another narrative just the the struggles that i went through i just didn't want i just didn't want other children to have to go through those struggles and to have those limiting negative beliefs about themselves because actually I'm a very intelligent person. I'm just not somebody that fitted the education system. And there are a lot of children that I've worked with that have the same issues. So, you know, I left school early. I did my O levels then. And then I went off to au pair for a year, which is where I realized that I loved being with children. And it was just natural being with children. And Children are authentic. You talked about limiting beliefs or, or the negative beliefs. What was the kind of the main one that you were carrying around with you? The main one that I struggled with for a long time was that I'm bad. That was the belief that came through the nanny that I was a bad person. And that has gone now, but it, that's taken a long time to shift that one because I didn't even realise it was kind of there. The other, The narrative that I got from school was that I was stupid and I wouldn't amount to much. of the work that I do with children and teenagers what I now realise is that I was always stuck in the fight flight freeze but the one that I always went to was freeze and that's more difficult to come out of.
0: I guess in every class you're going to get a proportion of children because of their situation or their belief systems or whatever that are in fight flight freeze. Yeah more so
1: now Yeah. And why would you say more so now? So many things have changed. You know, when I was at school, we did a a lot more creativity and that saved me. You know, we did a lot of art. We did a lot of, I think we even did needlework and stuff like that. You know, there was a lot of creativity and being outside and playing. From what I can see, that's kind of becoming more limited. I mean, and especially with what we're going through with the pandemic, that's definitely been curtailed. There's that that's that's changed. Then there's family dynamics, that's changed. Then there's internet, which is great, but it's also, you know, it hooks them in on, on gaming and that kind of thing. So, you know, they're not using their own imagination necessarily. You know, there's just so many things that have really changed. But, you know, when you think of the way technology's gone, diet's gone, the way we live, the way all of that's going, the education system hasn't kind of worked in balance with that I've worked in in many schools and actually I've worked in a lot of international schools predominantly you know because I was living in Rome and then I was living in Dubai and I was always supporting the child that was struggling to to fit in the class these kids were always so curious and they wanted to know more about things but they didn't necessarily want to sit on a carpet and learn maths but they had such a Yeah, just this curiosity for the world and and really bright, 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 creative kids that were then put on medication to conform to a setting so that they would then actually sit on a carpet and access learning. Actually, when you looked at these individuals on their own, their learning potential was massive, but not in the constraints necessarily of the education system when I was working with them on English or maths or whatever, it would always be using things that interested them. And obviously in a classroom, it's not possible to do that for 30 kids. You know, it's fascinating the things that they come out with and their wisdom and their, but it's their curiosity. And when that gets dampened, it's kind of so sad.
0: Stops them engaging with what it means to be the whole concept of living
1: consciously for a better world because they get stuck in a pit. Yeah. They say what others think. You know, so I remember this this one boy in particular. He wasn't even in year one. He was in reception. And, you know, he was sitting on the carpet. This is their second day. And he said, well, what are we doing here again? (laughs) What are we doing on the carpet? And the teacher said, well, we're going to do some maths. And he said, but we did that yesterday and I didn't like it. And I don't think I'm going to like it again today. So why are we doing it here on on the carpet like this? And I would sit there and think, well, he's got a good point because actually they could do maths in
0: in a fun way, couldn't they as well? There's so many creative ways, aren't there? What do you feel about the new sort of schools that are being developed at the moment, more based on, I suppose, the Steiner aspect of things, which is making
1: the children much more inclusive in nature and the way that they learn? I feel that, you know, they're an amazing option for children especially the children that struggle to fit into the system that is in place, because it's focusing on the individual, it's focusing on their strengths. And every child has gifts and talents. So it's about finding out what they are. There isn't just one way to do this. There isn't one way to do life.
0: For me, the whole thing is that as we educate children, we are creating adults for the future.
1: I I really feel for the teachers at the moment because I think that their passions of being a teacher aren't necessarily they're not able to reach their passion because they they have to do x y and z in a time limit or whatever i think it is worrying because i think all children are different some children naturally look out for all of that themselves they they will naturally be curious and read up on it and find out about it and kind of be little mini activists and everything and then you've got other children that just sort of plod along and And they come out of school. And like you say, they're completely unprepared.
0: This podcast is called Embracing Your Mortality. I'm really curious about what you think, as in the work that you do with helping children understand that feelings. Do you think it's important to talk to kids early about their mortality? Death happens in the life of a child, a parent, a sibling and certainly grandparents, favourite aunt or whoever. The cat, the dog, the budgie. At some point, they will meet death. Where do you feel
1: we need to go with this, and what's appropriate? If it's a pet, if it's um, if it's a grandparent, if it's a you know a family member or, or whoever, it's going to happen to all of us, isn't it? You know, and if you address it and talk about it and give children opportunities to ask questions and be part of it, it really helps the child to be part of it. I know some parents. They don't share with their child. They want to protect the child from feeling sad. But actually, in my experience, when you, especially for a a younger child, if, for example, granny has died or, you know, somebody in the family has died, as a parent, you're sad, obviously. And the child will say, Mummy, what's wrong? Nothing, I'm fine. And if they're excluded from the whole process, A, that child has, just missed out on a a way to go through a process of losing their grandparent, but B, also when parents try to protect their child, and I know that they're doing it for the good, but actually it is detrimental to the child because the child is observing and they are sensing there is something going on. And if you've got quite a young child, they will automatically assume this is something to do with them and they will go into fear almost because they won't understand it and like that term neuroception which I love Dr Stephen Porges came up with this he's a scientist he came up with this term neuroception where he says that subconsciously we are always picking up from each other what's going on so a child will subconsciously pick up from a parent that they're not all right but if they say they are you've got a mismatch are they going to then stop trusting that feeling? Because you don't want that, do you? You want children to continue to trust that that inner guidance. Then the child goes into sort of anxiety almost because that's not what I'm feeling. Yeah. So that means it must be something to do with me. What's 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 the story? What's going on now? When a pet dies, when somebody dies, it's just, you know, let the child ask the questions, let them be part of it. Let them understand that you're sad because that's part of the process. For me, it's, it's healthy when you let the children be part of it.
0: If they're not encouraged to go through the process of what death means in the family, they're also missing out on a massive life lesson. Death is part of life. And when they get that, It's not as terrifying. The other thing, um, I'll tell you what happened for me, and there was a lot of mixed messages in my own um, early childhood about what parents were feeling and and what they were saying they were feeling and me being sensitive, picking that up. And I developed a sense of dread. And I just wondered if you can relate to that or you know children that sort of do
1: do live with a sense of dread. I think it's just, it's a massive problem actually. But it's, I understand that the parents are trying to save them, even teachers. You know, if if a teacher's not in a good place and the kids are like, are you okay, miss? Yeah, I'm fine. No, I'm sort of really big on intuition at the minute. I really feel that intuition should be encouraged, especially with, with our children, but with all of us. And I did it with my own daughters, you know, I, because I wasn't aware that I would say, no, everything's fine. I mean, goodness, I was. I remember when I went through a stage of quite severe depression and they would say, is everything okay? I said, no, I'm fine. Mm. Obviously, everything was not okay, but I didn't want to talk to them about it or I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to upset them because I'm their mum and I needed to be somebody that would you know, support them. Mm. But they must have known and it must have made them feel very uneasy because we didn't talk about it
0: what is appropriate then for a young child when they pick up mum and dad or whoever by the way somebody close is not okay they know it where do you meet
1: that with a child because I'll give you an example of a of a client with this the COVID thing with a lot of us of having to be working from home so this was a mother working from home And her young son, who was four, came in and she'd just come off the phone with her boss and it wasn't a very pleasant pleasant conversation. So she was probably like head in hands, just going, oh my God, that was awful. Son comes in and goes, mummy, is everything okay? Yes, everything's fine. No, obviously everything isn't fine. So now this little boy is like, okay, well, that's not what I'm feeling. But now you said you're okay. Now I'm not quite sure. I don't know what's going on now. So anxiety comes in mm. and fear. Mm. And it started from that. And so then that little boy then wanted to go back into his cot because he didn't feel safe. Now, I'm not saying it was specifically from that moment, but that moment won't have helped him. Whereas if the mum had said, oh, you know, I've just had a phone conversation and it wasn't very nice, I, you know, keep the language appropriate for the age that your child is. Could you read me a book and make me feel better? Then he knows it's not about him. He knows mummy's upset. It's gone with his intuitive feeling of something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And now he's helping. Yeah, he doesn't feel helpless.
0: Yeah. And therefore guilty or shamed or whatever, the emotion that he
1: goes into, that it's his fault. And kids love to help. And there comes a lot of wisdom from your child. If you're not in a good place and they notice and you say to them, yes, I'm, you know, I'm not feeling so happy today. Maybe you could help me. See how they help you because the way they help you is the way that it will help them. You know, it's just quite interesting to see the solutions that children come up with for you
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: those solutions would be the very thing that would most likely help them when they're feeling like that. So you can learn a lot. You can get a lot of information from your children by getting them to help you and support you. They love you. You love somebody. You automatically want to help somebody. I was talking about Dr. Stephen Porges earlier. I mean, I just think his work is phenomenal. But one of the things that he says is children have one question and that question is, am I safe? Everything they do is to get a response to that question their behavior their what they say it's it's all to to check in am I safe and if you're a a stressed out mother or a stressed out father there's a chance they're not going to feel safe with you that day because they're going to be picking up information intuitively and through this neuroception and so they love you but so they'll kick off they're going to fight they're going to run away or they're going to freeze when you start looking at that it's almost like being curious as to what the behavior of the child is showing you rather than reacting to the behavior it's looking at it and thinking okay so what's this about then thing is that we live especially during
0: COVID I, a lot of parents that I've come across have just been so stressed out because they're trying to work they're trying to maintain their job they're trying to put the food on the table for the kids they possibly have very very stressful relationships with their partner all living together in the same house and the kids just suck it up like a sponge what would you
1: say is the best way to address that with a child As you're saying that, the first thing that comes into my mind is everybody get outside (laughs) into nature (laughs) because that just completely, you know, if you're all stuck in in a bit of a rut, when you get outside into nature, it just changes, you know, it changes everything. I mean, I think it's just when I'm working with families, I really like to make them aware of what we've just spoken about, of just getting your children to support you as well as you supporting them getting involved with each other, helping out, getting them to help out, not taking it all on yourself. Because children can start helping out in the home at quite a young age. You know, they can have their, their jobs to do and all that kind of thing. So, you know, and you can do things like you can have a family meeting time because actually it is really stressful all living together, you know, and you can do that thing where you sit around the table and each person, you can use a, a tennis ball or a stick or whatever, and whoever's holding the stick or the tennis ball or whatever, they get to say what's on their mind and everybody listens. But there's all sorts of ways that you can change the energy of a house. You know, you can put some music on or you can mm. uh, you can include some essential oils. Or I think just, yeah, getting out into nature is a massive one for me. I just, that's what I recommend to everybody all the time. You know, if you're having a moment just everybody get out and just allow nature to do its work with you yeah. and then the kids can run about and
0: then and then maybe mum and dad can maybe just have a chat together but the children are incredibly demanding as well but i guess they're very demanding when they don't feel safe because
1: as you say they're constantly checking out are these people safe with me yeah and i think that that's a massive problem at the moment because everything in the news and everything everywhere is fear based and so there was a lot of fear before all of this, but now it's it's massive. So you've got some children, they don't want to even leave the house. I don't know what image they have of COVID, but, you know, they're terrified to actually go outside their front door now. What is the I, fear that they're dealing with? Obsessive compulsive disorder has, has risen because I think children, they're not in control, you know, of what's going on. And so when you're not in control, you will always come up with a way to be in control so there's you know that's the eating disorders that's the self-harming that's the the obsessive compulsive disorder all these things are give you a way to control a situation so I can't control what's going on out there but I can wash my hands you know 50 times because that makes me feel like I've got some kind of control quite a lot of my clients that's something that they've started through this period I mean anxiety was always going on before and this is sort of I think, going to a new level because the fear is coming from everywhere. You know, the parents are fearful. They've got no control over any of it. Mm. So it makes sense that children are trying to find some kind of way to control. And I guess some kids just switch off. They just want a game all the time because then they don't have to, you know, be part of anything. Everybody's got their own way of dealing with this. I went for a walk about a month ago, maybe, and
0: came across a mum with a pushchair and a little boy. He must have been about four or five, and he would not move. And she'd been there for half an hour trying to make him move to come with her to go to the car. And she was beside herself. I was with a friend. And and so we said, look, you know, we'll take the baby and you go and with him. And I think what he was doing, something had triggered him and he was expressing All her anxiety. I just felt so sorry for her because she was doing the best she possibly could do, but this boy just needed her on her own to scream.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right when you when you say that he's picking up from her. I think that's when I'm again when I've got clients, particularly with the younger ones, because I'm then also talking a lot with the parents, and usually they then recognise that they are also feeling anxious, so. They, if they start using some mindful techniques to help themselves. And just, it's just about being aware. Cause I think once you're aware, then you start using techniques that, that then help you respond rather than react. Because it's easy to just, you know, to, to react. But actually, if you just take, just even, you know, just the powerful pause, taking a deep breath in, just giving yourself a moment, then saying a mantra that will help you empower yourself because again I feel a lot of what's going on with the children the parents is everybody's losing their power you know it's the power goes so it's like bringing back the power to yourself again getting your your power back empowering yourself and I think that that's for every member of the family but if they do you know some sort of exercises that mindful exercises or whatever works for them that just brings them back into the moment and just gets them back on track. And that can be done really quite quickly if it's something that's, that's practiced. Mm-hmm. Then they respond rather than, than react.
0: Yeah, I saw this wonderful um, video of a, I don't know if you've seen it, of a mum who's a tap dance professional tap dancer. And during lockdown, she taught her seven-year-old son to tap dance better than she could. And the yes. two of them are now doing shows on YouTube. The two of them together, Just phenomenal. And I just suddenly thought, gosh, what a great coping strategy. You know, and so he loved being with her. She loved teaching him. He ended up being better than her (laughs) because he's young. You know, it was the most uplifting story of a parent and child relationship. Then they were helping everybody else. There's another
1: thing that I'm always saying to parents as well is just have fun and, and laugh. I'm a big laugher and I think I probably have irritated my children many times when either they've kicked off or I've kicked off and then it just looks so ridiculously funny and then I will just, I, I can't help it, I just start laughing but then it completely diffuses because I'll also laugh at myself. A brilliant example was when I was living in Dubai and I was just learning, I was learning to drive on the roads there, it was terrifying. And they've got one road called Shakeside Road, which is six lanes. And every lane is whatever you want it to be fast, slow. I mean, there seems to be no no rules. And I had to join this six lane highway. And I said to the girls who were year five and year seven, I said, You need to be completely quiet because I've really got to focus. And they wouldn't stop talking, they kept going. And then I just, I literally just screamed, You need to stop now. And then I couldn't stop laughing because it the whole situation had been so ridiculous. I managed to get onto the road and everything. But then I couldn't stop laughing because I realised how absolutely ridiculous I must have looked. So we just laughed. And they still talk about it today of this, you know, nutty moment where I just completely <laughs> lost the plot. I mean, the other thing that's coming up for me is the word bullying,
0: because it's so detrimental for a child to experience bullying
1: How can we do things better around bullying? I have been dealing with clients that have got bullying going on at school, where the the school's not necessarily addressing it for the importance that it is for that child. What I then do with them is I try and build them up. It's about their power, isn't it? Because you completely lose your power to a bully. That's the whole point, isn't it? So it's about helping them see that, giving them strategies to help them keep their power because also that changes the whole way that they are which makes them much less attractive. You know, if you can't get somebody's power, well what's the point? They're wanting to make you cry, aren't they, and collapse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just about walking away but having a strategy where you actually you know, you feel really good and you can have something in your pocket, you know, is something to hold onto of like when I hold this stone I've got the love of my mom and dad in my heart. You know, whatever, whatever works. Mm-hmm. But there will be something that will help them to keep that that strength. One of the best areas mm-hmm. that I teach all my clients, whether with whatever they're going through, is is related to the magical garden, and it's it's about giving them a safe place. But for the teenagers, it's called a special place because they they don't necessarily have a garden. They have you know whatever they want. I would say for all of them, they always say that's the favorite technique that they learn because. They then kind of got this for life, and it just keeps changing. But the beauty of it is, is you know, if, if for example they are dealing with a bully at school, then they can slip into this special place in the morning before they go to school and just think about what can they put in that's going to help them face, you know, this person if if and when they do something. So it could be some, you know, for the kids, it might be well, I'm going to put a dragon in because nobody's going to mess with the dragon, and you really sort of. Imagine that that dragon is with you because our imagination is just so so powerful. Our bodies are always responding to our thoughts. So if you're in a beautiful garden, your thoughts are going to be quite lovely, aren't they? Because you're going to see the and hear, hear the birds, see the birds, see the flowers, smell the flowers. You know, all your senses are going to kick in, and your body's going to respond to all of that. So it's a brilliant tool for kids especially the ones that go through the fight flight freeze response because when they go into their garden they allow their bodies and their minds to calm it's all about keeping your power if you don't give somebody your power then you're no use to them are you
0: that was jackie gray a true champion for the emotional welfare of all children you can contact Jackie through her website, staycalm.co.uk. My final guest in this second series is the indomitable Dionne Johnson. She has overcome all kinds of personal challenges to become the womanologist who loves to empower women in business. If we don't like what we're seeing with this, if we don't like how it feels with this current system, then the system needs to have a change of heart. You've been listening to Embracing Your Mortality and I look forward to you joining me again next time. You can find out more about me through my website, subrain.co.uk. In the meantime, here's to us all living more consciously for a better world.
1: The Embracing Your Mortality podcast was researched and recorded by Sue Brain and produced and edited by the Podcast Den.